over you, kind of being able to sit you down and talk with you. That's kind of an intimidating, it's kind of an intimidating thing, right? Even when you're a kid, it's awkward. I think, what do you think? I think that kind of childlike avoidance of sit-down talks, I think it's still with us. Um, I don't know if you're like me, we, we tend not to like the idea of someone um, with authority over us who can sit us down and talk with us, whether it's a boss, policeman, family member, spouse, um, community member. I don't really, we tend not to like that very much. Um, we kind of like to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And anyone who messes with that um, is usually going to be either avoided or destroyed. Um, we're going to really hop into the series today called The Seven. Um, it's a series from the book of Revelation. Um, here, Jesus, um, the risen Jesus, um, is essentially having some sit-down talks with the churches that he loves. Um, and a lot of times it's encouraging, and a lot of times it's challenging. Today, um, it's a pretty good combination of both, of an encouragement and a challenge. Um, those of you, uh, listen, I get it. Some of you are really... Uh, struggling with the whole God thing. Um, there's so many religions, there's so many spiritualities, there's so many ways, there's so many opinions. How do I know what's right? How do I know what's true? Is anything true? Is anything true? And then what you might do is you kind of give up on the idea of truth in general and you end up doing whatever works for you, right? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what our friends and family do? They just do whatever works for them. That's a very common uh, belief. That's, a, that's actually the thing that I kind of want to press home real quick. This idea that I want to do whatever works for me, that's actually a belief system. It's a religion. You're, you're stepping out on a plank of faith, and you're trusting that you can do whatever works for you, and, that, and that's, that's in touch with reality. It's a belief system. So I think the book of Revelation might be really helpful for you if you're skeptical. Maybe you have friends who are skeptical. It could be quite helpful for us. Um, we talked about this last week. Whatever works for you, um, that's what's called speculation. It works from the bottom up. I, I, I determine it. I'm looking for enlightenment. I'm looking for wisdom. I'm looking to be right with God. It's speculation. The whole book of Revelation is just that. It's revelation. It works from the top down. I can't control it. Something outside of me reveals something to me. And what's really cool is that thing is a person, and that person is Jesus. Right? And Jesus is altogether different from religion on the one hand and spirituality on the other hand, right? On the one hand, Jesus is different from just man-made religion where I work myself up to God. And on the other hand, he's altogether different from spirituality where I look inside myself for God or maybe I am God and I'm looking for enlightenment and experience to make me feel like I'm God. See, the, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus is that it's different, it's explosive, I don't look up, I don't look in, I, I just, I look to someone who came for me, who came down from heaven to rescue me. I really have nothing to do with it. It's a free gift. It's pretty amazing. So before we get into the book, chapter 2 here, verse 1 through 7, uh, can we pray real quick and ask that God will give us insight into this very unique way of looking at things, uh, revelation. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask today that you help us, help me to see you the way you reveal yourself in the word. Um, please help us. You're going to encourage us and challenge us today. 
Um, help us to receive it. Help us to see you clearly. Um, help us to get our eyes on others. Uh, but more than anything, help us to um, understand this good news um, of the free gift of what you've done for us. Um, in your name, amen. So if you have your Bible, we're going to hop right into uh, chapter 2 here. This is the first church that Jesus is directly addressing, right? This is, this is kind of radical. He is having a sit-down talk uh, with this church at Ephesus. He said, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, um, so we live in Knoxville, right? It's usually a pretty good idea to know what's going on in Knoxville. Uh, let you in on what was going on in Ephesus back then. Ephesus was uh, one of the biggest cities in the world then, one of the biggest cities in Asia Minor. There are some really cool things about it, some beautiful things about it. Um, but at the same time, it was an idolatrous city. That is, they worshipped false imaginary gods. Um, it's pretty interesting. Maybe some of y'all have seen some movies and you've heard of the god uh, Artemis. Um, in the kind of the focal point of Ephesus, there's this temple where Artemis dwelled. And it was really interesting because this temple, that's where criminals could be housed. They essentially had a, a free place to live and room and board for criminals at this temple called Artemis. And it was basically the center for organized crime. So did Paul go, oh man, that's a big bad city with all those crazy criminals. I'm going to stay away from that city. We got to go into our little Christian clan, you know, away from the city. No, that actually ended up being the focal point of where Paul wanted to do ministry, where the criminals were. An amazing concept. Here's the challenge. If, if we don't see that we ourselves are criminals against God and that we need to be rescued, we're going to look down on criminals. What if we saw ourselves, like Chris was talking about, as a criminal who needs to be rescued? That's what Paul, that was Paul's whole goal with the city of Ephesus. He wanted to go right to where the action was. Um, you might remember in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul, this guy named Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and it, it's a really cool letter. It's not quite as hard-hitting as this one. Um, overall, it's pretty positive and, and beautiful and encouraging, um, but there's one point where Paul says, be careful, church. He says, wolves are coming. Now, a wolf is basically a false teacher. He's so cool. He's so cute. He's so, everyone likes him. He's encouraging, but he's a false teacher. False doctrine comes out of his mouth. Paul said to be careful, right? Apparently, flash forward 40, 50 years to where we are today. Apparently, the church at Ephesus was careful. They, they did guard against false teachers. They did guard against false doctrine. Uh, we're going to go to verse 2 here real quick. This is where Jesus starts encouraging them. And I hope this is an encouragement to us here at Legacy. This is the words of Jesus. He says, Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a kind king right there who's encouraging his church. He's encouraging them for being faithful in guarding the doctrinal gate. 
Why? Doctrine and theology, some of you are going to be uncomfortable with this, uh, is where it all starts. Now, some of you are saying, what are you talking about? Theology, dogma, doctrine. That's the problem with the world. Doctrine? You kidding me? It's, it's a common belief, um, especially in a culture such as ours, where my personal opinion, my personal preference is what matters over anything else. I believe what works for me. And yet it shows, I do this too, it shows how wickedly self-centered we can get. Reality isn't about what works for me. It's about what works for God. It's an amazing concept. And doctrine and theology is how we learn what works for God. It's how we learn to relate to God the way he wants to be understood. We want to get theology right, lest we be out of touch. Now, of course, theology is where it starts, but it sure as heck isn't where it ends. Jesus will clearly show us that here in a minute, and it'll make us very uncomfortable. But it is where it starts. It starts outside of us. Right? So we're not talking about like open-handed, weird, secondary, theological issues that don't even matter. We're talking about primary things like, you know, Jesus died for our sins. It's a free gift. We can't do anything about it. Heaven is real. Hell is real. God is there. You know, just some basic theological truths. Jesus is encouraging them here for guarding that gate when there's a lot of outside influences that are trying to lead the church astray. I think, I think Jesus would be encouraging legacy. I think he is encouraging legacy. We, by God's grace and his power, we guard the gate. We have uh, dear pastors, elders who, who guard it, who watch over our souls, who chase people away if necessary, who don't center their theology on, on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I think we need to be encouraged, especially to our pastors, but all of us for sure. I know for me, it's, I've kind of gone up and down personally. You know, I've gone through seasons where um, it's only about doctrine. I've gone through seasons where, you know, it's like, what? It's not even important, theology, doctrine. What, why would I even think about that? I don't know about you. Maybe you're somewhere there. Uh, but here, Jesus is being very clear. It's important. It's foundational. Let's move to chapter, or to verse 4. This is where it gets uncomfortable, guys. Bear with me for a little bit. Jesus says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. That's kind of uncomfortable. I kind of wish that wasn't there. <laughs> where Jesus just comes in with the surgical dagger you know, how is, how is this graceful? How is this gospel-centered? What's going on here? It's kind of uncomfortable. If we dig a little deeper into it, uh, Jesus is basically saying, 
You've lost your love for me, and here's how I know you've lost your love for me. Jesus is saying, I know you've lost your love for me because you've lost your zealousness for those who don't know me. Sure, you're not that weird religious fanatic, but you've kind of swung the other way. And you don't care about those who don't know me. And that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Doesn't matter how many Sunday gatherings you go to, how many community group gatherings you go to, you've kind of missed the whole point, which is that I've made you my son, my daughter, my missionary, my ambassador, and your one job is to tell others about me, and I'm with you to the end. They've lost it, and it's very common. We, we see this all the time. There's something about having a, a high level of doctrine and theology. There's something about that that um, gives us a sense of comfort, a false sense of comfort. It gives us a sense that we're all right. I, mean, I think it makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel like we're right when we have good doctrine and theology. Jesus is saying that's not enough. It's not enough. Can you put the next slide up there, brother? So, um, can we go to the next one? Sorry. It's a little graph. So what, we're, what I want to do here, this, this is kind of confusing, what's happening here. Um, we, have, we have a rebuke is basically what's going on here from Jesus. And if we're not careful we figure out a way to avoid the rebukes that Jesus has, that Jesus gives us, right? Why? We're gospel people, right? We're, we're grace people. We're gospel people. We're loving people. But apparently, unless, unless this verse is not supposed to be in the Bible, apparently rebukes have a place in our kind king's plan for us. So what I want to do, I want to kind of show you, this, in this passage, we see all three of what I'm about to tell you. We see gospel promises, we see gospel commands, and we see gospel rebukes, right? And the big idea is that Jesus primarily relates to us through promise. He promises that he loves us in Christ. He promises that he's there for us in Christ. He purchased us at a price. There's, there's, it's a promise. And that's the main way our, our God relates to us. It's a beautiful thing. Because then it's about him and his glory, not us and our good works. But if we're not careful, legacy, we forget that there are gospel commands. And that commands are not a bad thing. That commands are a beautiful thing given to us by our Father who loves us and who cares for us. They're gospel commands. We see them here in this text. Be careful. There's not like a separation between gospel promises and gospel commands. One leads to the other. One drives the other. The commands of God help keep us close to God. They, they guide us. They, they keep us straight with God. We love God. We want to obey God. The gospel commands are good. Of course, yes, amen. We can come at them from the wrong way with the wrong motive and become self-righteous, but the command itself is good. It's for us. And then sometimes the commands aren't enough. The promises are enough. God has to give us 
gospel rebukes. And that's what this is. Rebukes, this might sound kind of weird. I know this is going to sound kind of weird. Rebukes are a grace to us. It's a grace. It's not like promise bad, rebuke good. You know, they're, they're both good. They serve different purposes. A rebuke from our king is our king trying to get our eyes on him and his promise freshly. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to aliven us freshly to the gospel promises, the gospel of grace. You have to use them carefully. The emphasis always has to be on promises, but there is a place for it, especially when we're, we become blind and cold and we've just fallen for the busyness of life. We, sometimes rebukes our, our, our kind king's grace to us. One of the big ideas from today, uh, from Jesus, is that doctrine and theology, even gospel-centered theology, is worthless if it's not living, leading to a life of love towards those who don't know Jesus. It's worthless. The text focuses on this. That's why we're focusing on this. Can we put up Matthew 24, uh, 12 through 14? Uh, Jesus talked about this when he walked the earth in the Gospels. He said, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Again, it's like, what's going on here? This doesn't look very gracey. Is Jesus saying that my works will save me? That my, my, my loving the nations will save me? It's tempting to skip stuff like this, like where we're at in Revelation, texts that relate to that. But no, 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 this is a gospel warning. It's a gospel rebuke. It's designed to force us to bow our knee to our kind king. It's kind of awkward. So, Jesus keeps pressing this home about having all head and no heart towards those who don't know Jesus. Let's not be delusional. I know some of you guys right now, you're thinking of seminary people, seminary professors, smart people here at Legacy. Jesus is talking to those guys. He's not talking to me. Jesus is talking to you. Jesus is talking to me. He's just talking to the normal Christian. You know the basics of Christianity, right? You know who God is. You know what the cross is. You know that you're a sinner, maybe. You know it in your head. But you've lost sight of it. You've lost sight of it in your heart. You've got caught up in the busyness of life. Great things, good things that God gives us, like family and friends and job and work and money, all these good gifts, they've usurped God and his plan for your life. This is what happens. It happens a lot. We get caught up in our tough times. 
when life isn't going the way we want it to, we lose sight of God. We lose sight of serving people. We, we, we miss the point. We become self-centered, self-consumed. The last thing on our mind is the eternal state of people who don't know Jesus. It's not designed to be like that. I think it's interesting. I had to, this really challenged me this week. I think it's really interesting that Jesus doesn't say, you know, son, you're my missionary. You're my ambassador. Unless, unless you've had a tough day. Then you're not. Then you can be kind of self-focused and self-consumed. You're my son. You're my missionary. Unless it's been a tough day at work. It's kind of cool that it's our identity no matter what the circumstance is. We're missionaries. We're ambassadors of our king. Here's an encouragement. When you're having a tough day, when I'm having a tough day, when we're just beat, man, we've had it. It's been a crazy day. Interestingly enough, that's exactly when God wants to use us. When we're at our weakest moment, when we can't just muster it up to love people and invite them into our life and talk to them and check in with them. When we're at our weakest, when we're having our toughest days, that's when God wants to, that's when God wants to use us. That's when your words, that's when your actions are most likely to be used by God to penetrate into the hearts of the people who you love. It's the way God designs it. And they, what happens is they see life. They see you desperate. They see you um, in kind of that weak state, and yet they see life coming out of you. And it's attractive. It's encouraging. How many of you, you put that condition on God? I do it. You put that condition on God. I'm only going to live for you and your mission as long as life is easy. It's never going to work. It doesn't work. It might work for a week or two sometimes, but it, it's not sustainable. We need a bigger vision, and we have it on the cross where God purchased our missionary identity. Got some work to do there. But thank goodness, he's, he's so kind. He's just kind to tell us this. Next little section here. Jesus says, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I got to be, I want to be careful here. But at the same time, I got to be faithful to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is literally saying, if you do not repent, if you do not change your mind, I will no longer recognize you as my church. I will leave you. Jesus is saying that. Why? They've lost their missional zeal. They've lost their missionary identity. They have good doctrine. They have good theology. The gospel center, they have it on their banners. It's on the website. They've lost their missionary identity. If they don't repent, he's going to leave them. That's what he means. Lampstand means he's going to leave them. It's intense. Whoa. Is Jesus allowed to say that? It's encouraging, hopefully. Remember, 
I want to focus on what this lampstand word means. It means, guys, that Jesus is always with us. He's very present. He's very near. He's in our midst. He's not checked out, right? So it's not like you have to work to get God's favor to be here. He's with us. He loves us. He's empowering us. So let's do, let's do, I did this this week. Let's do what, kind of what Jesus said here at the beginning. Think back, those of you who are Christians, I know some of you aren't, you're trying to figure this thing out, you're skeptical, you're searching. But those of you who are Christians, I want you to think back to right when you became a Christian. You might be like me, you don't remember the day or the week, maybe not even the month, but you remember the general time period, right? When you became a Christian, when you saw God's beauty, you saw your wickedness, and you saw the cross of grace, and you ran to it as a free gift to cover you, to make you clean in God's sight. Think, think back to that. Remember how passionate you were? How excited you were, even though life, it was tough then. If you look back on it, there were still a lot of tough situations happening. But that wasn't eclipsing your love for God and those who didn't know him. You remember that? How you wanted everyone to know about your kind king. Man, it was good times. Some of you, you've never had that. Explains a lot. It's possible you've never met Jesus. The message hasn't pierced your heart yet. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life. <clears throat> Think back to that, Christian. Where's that first love gone? Why is your heart so cold? Why are you worshiping doctrine, theology, Community even. Why are you worshiping that? Think. Get your eyes on Jesus. That kind, victorious king who entered into this world to rescue us from ourself. And to put us into his heart, to put us into his kingdom, so that we could be beloved, adored, so we could have a new family, have a new mission, have a new identity, live in a new reality. We're supposed to be infatuated with that king. We're supposed to be thinking about him all the time. Isn't that what we do? Don't we think about and talk about what we love deepest? Isn't that what we do? Men, listen, I'm with you, but those of you men, you love, you love your football. I do too. You love your football. You love your work. It's natural. God put those desires there. But the desire he didn't put there is where you're thinking about those two things way more than you're thinking about him. And when you're thinking about those things, you're not thinking how he relates to those things, right? And you're talking about it all the time, right? Football, football, football. Volunteers, Titans, everything, right? Work, work, all my work, all my project. It's, it's always on our mind. Jesus is supposed to be on our mind. 
ladies and, and men, really. We all do this. You, maybe you're dating. Maybe you're um, whatever you want to use the word. Maybe there's a guy in your life who you, you like a lot. And that's, that's great. That's how God designs things. Um, you know how when you're, you have a crush on somebody, you're always thinking about him. You can't, stop th- you can't stop talking about that guy, right? Isn't that how it works? That's how we're designed to, to be with God. We're designed to be thinking about God, infatuated about God. This uncomfortable word, fantasizing, not in a sexual way, about God. Thinking about him all the time. And the focus, talking about him, because we talk about what we think about. Talking about Jesus, right? Now, I'm going to let you up for breath. Thank goodness Jesus ends here with a promise, and now we can relax a little bit. The very end of the text here, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Oh, man, this is, so, this is such good news. Anyone who trusts in this victorious king is a conqueror, and you get to participate in the present powerful plan of God, and you get to be with him for eternity. That's so cool. Those of us, legacy, who trust in Jesus and not ourselves, you are not merely a broken person. You're not merely a selfish person person. You're not merely a sinful person, right? Doesn't this come out of our mouths all the time? Here's a fresh reminder. You're a conqueror! Let's encourage each other in that. That's who we are in Christ. As we're ministering to one another, maybe one-on-one, one-on-two in our small groups, let's remind each other of the promises of God and who we are. When we're ministering to one another, when we're confessing our sin, when we're getting transparent, when we're getting kind of, let's face it, you're getting kind of weird. You're talking about your selfishness quite a bit. And your sin, you're wicked. It almost depends this contest to see how much you can confess. Confess. That's where it starts. And then remind each other of your identity in Christ. You're a conqueror. A victor. A victor. You're in Christ, and you have his victorious power running through your veins. That's what we have. Especially amidst the trials and troubles of life, where there's not a thing we can do besides cry out to our king. He talks about the tree of life here. That's our our future, our eternity. The tree of life is the very wellspring of all that is good and beautiful. It's the very source of all that is spiritually pure. It's the source of our pleasure with God forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. That's ours in Christ, the tree of life. But guess what? This is the kicker. There's one way to the tree of life. There's one way. And that is to trust in the tree of death. The tree that Christ climbed for us in our place so we could be one with him, enjoy the tree of life forever in a paradise with God. 
Jesus climbed the tree of death that we might have the tree of life. And through trusting in his victory, we get to participate in that right now. We get to experience part of that tree of life now together in community with one another. Let's remind each other of this legacy when we're ministering to one another. Through Jesus' work, we've gone from criminals to conquerors. The sit-down talks, they're hard. They don't need to be happening all the time, but there is a place for them. And when it's a kind, when, when it's a kind king sitting us down and talking, it, it always ends up being good, even though it's awkward and uncomfortable. A lot, of, you hear me, a lot of the people I do life with, they hear me say this a lot. Life happens in the awkward. That's where it happens. A lot happens in the awkward sit-down talks. Please remember legacy. Please, please, please. Jesus' grace for us, it's too amazing to save us and then only leave us dry here in this life. Only just to leave us to sit here and dry. It's a present power in the life of a believer who trusts in the victorious king. It's a grace. It's ongoing. It never ends. So some of you, you're not going to get weird about this, seriously, but some of you ask yourself right now, have I ever bowed down to my maker and, and king, Jesus? Have I ever bowed to him? Trusted in the tree of death? Inherited the tree of life? Have you ever done that? If not, do it. Not now. <laughs> do it. Bow. Doubt your doubts for a minute. Just do it. Consider it at least. Talk with someone about it. But some of you, you kind of enjoy the message, but you're still thinking this thing through, right? You're, it's, a, it's a big, you know, it's a big idea, this whole Christianity thing. You're processing through it. Now, sometimes it takes a long road. There's a long road to discovery, so take your time. Keep exploring. Ask questions. Genuinely search. Check out a calm group. Check out Christians loving one another, right? Keep searching. Consider that Jesus climbed the tree of death, that we could have the tree of life. All right, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask and pray that you would just take your word, seal it in our hearts, cut through our pride, pour more of your grace through our veins, empowering us in this new life we have in you that's so hard in this life through all the trials and struggles, the war of life. Help us keep our mind on eternal things, the party that is to come, the tree of life, and how it's all a free gift from you. All we have to do is stop trusting in ourselves and trust in you. Help us with that, please. We love you. We love who you are. We, we can't stop thinking about you. And uh, we can't wait to see you. In your name, amen. All right. We're just going to do something kind of different here real quick. Um, that, was, that was a very, uh, the section of Scripture was very intense, right, obviously. Um, and some of us, um, 
you know, it's like, okay, I don't really, I don't know if I have a heart for those who don't know Jesus. I don't, I don't know how to think through it. I don't know how to do it. Um, I just wanted to talk with uh, Dave here. Um, are we supposed to sit? Okay. Um, I just want to talk with him real quick, um, ask him a few questions. He's a, I look up to Dave. He's a very wise man here at Legacy. I just wanted to kind of pick his brain, kind of see his journey towards loving Jesus and loving those who um, don't know him. So, <laughs> so just a few questions. Can you tell us, can you tell us a little bit, maybe just your family life, um, what that looks like? Um, well, I'm married 16 years, uh, four kids, um, no dogs, um, <laughs> we have, um, it's between, what, we have a nine-year-old, nine, eight, nine, seven, six, three, mm -hmm. I think. Wow. So, I'm jealous. Girl, boy, girl, girl. That's cool. Um, kind of first question, did you have an extended season in your life where you're, you know, confessing Christ, you're confessing Christianity, did you have an extended season where maybe you are that person Jesus is talking about. You, you have good, you know the basics, um, but um, you're just missing the whole point, the, the mission. Have you ever had a season like that? I would say most of my Christian life was lived like that. Um, I don't know if it was, I look back, I was thinking about this. You sent me these questions last night, I was thinking about it, and, and uh, I just, once I was saved, I mean, that was it. Now you're supposed to do good. And um, so, yeah. You I, did? I, I guess most of my life has looked like that. No. Okay, so if, if loving, you know, God and Jesus, his mission, those who don't know, if, that, if that's so basic, you know, it, it's pretty basic to Christianity. If, if you're kind of missing that, what, what, were you, what were you doing instead? Like, what was, I mean, what, I'm just maybe fill in the blanks. Um, I wrote, I wrote this down, I wrote down some notes real quick, um, to that question, there was a time, I'm the kind of guy where, um, I have a, I have a lot of hobbies, or I had a lot of hobbies, and I would just get lost in those hobbies, um, one of them was paintball, yep. um, I would get into paintball, and I was known as the paintball guy, and that would just irritate me, but I was still, I was doing it, I would, I would, it got to the point where I was like trying to cut back to make Amy happy, you know, because she's like, she called paintball my other woman. And, um, so what I did was I was just, I was just doing paintball once a month, but even if I mentioned paintball, she would just blow up. Um, and then I quit paintball, um, and I moved on to, well, no, during paintball, I started doing online, um, First person shooters mm -hmm. and uh, going online, yeah, and mm -hmm. and owning all the other 12 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, I was 30 something at the time. <laughs> I'm like taking, I'm conquering the world against all these 12 year olds who don't have a job, don't have kids, you know, talk like sailors. I'm like, you sound like a single dude. I know, I was living like a single dude married. It was sad. <laughs> And so just, I was just, it was all about me and what I would do is I would cut back on my hobbies 
to accommodate, you know, family. Mm-hmm. And that was actually, I told Gavin this yesterday, I, there was, we are talking about idols, paintball, and online gaming, um, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was making that more important than God, which means I was making that more important than him, more important than mommy, mm-hmm. more important than his sisters. Wow. That was sad. And that was for pretty long extended season. Um, yeah, I would say Chris, I think that was like, that was quite a while. So what? Before you knew Chris. So what kind of happened? Those of us who maybe were there right now, maybe we've been there, we have friends who were there. What, what kind of started to happen where God? Um, let me pull it up. Well, I know one of the major things that happened um, was... Uh, I did. I had, I had a friend, or Luke. Um, he would come in every every summer, and he'd raise money, and that was like, hey, it was movie night every every night of the week. You know, when you want, when, at the end of the day, he goes, let's go see a movie. You know, and so because Paul would be here or something like that, and so we go see movies, and he started challenging me on um, just the way my Christian walk was. You know, not living a safe and forgetful life. Um, Mm-hmm. He started challenging me on um, who God was, and in the process, God also, it was pretty awesome, uh, there was a moment, and kind of like a road sign, where something happens, you can look back and go, ugh, and uh, what happened was, I had all this stupid paintball equipment in a big box in my garage, <laughs> and I would go, I mean, I had all the tactical gear, and I would go do these you know, week-long things and camping out and week-long battles, right? It was just stupid. I mean, it's fun, but for me, it was, I just turned it into a monster. And um, I remember one day, just something came to my mind. It was, it was like I was just sitting there praying and walking and talking. And uh, I, I, I don't know if I said the words or if the words, however they happened, I don't care. But they were there. Um, but it, it was like, what if all my stuff got stolen tonight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just was like, I remember thinking, man, that would suck. Mm-hmm. And so I walked into my house and went to work the next morning. And Amy calls me and she's like, um, she goes, the garage, I took out the trash and the garage door's open. We had a garage right off the, um, off the alleyway. And she goes, the garage door's open. I was like, oh. Did you open it? She goes, no, it was open this morning. And she just never closed it. She thought I'd been back there. It's like, oh my gosh. I go, I come home, fly home, go in there. All my paintball stuff is gone. Like, you're in like all the paintball stuff I had. It was all the stuff like you can't just buy off the shelf. You have to buy new parts and put it together mm-hmm. because they don't make it anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was all this collector stuff that they don't make anymore. Ridiculous. And so I was like, oh my gosh. It's all gone. It's like only my paintball stuff. All my tools were there. Lawnmower was there. Just my paintball stuff was gone. And then, you know, Luke shows up and he's like, You don't want to live a safe and forgetful life. And starts challenging me on stuff like that. And, That's um, awesome. So you had believers in your life? Believers in my life. Anything else? Um, also, at that time, um, God was had a um, 
another man stepped into my life with some crazy book. I just call it the Eagle Book, and long story short, it was like, hey, how's it fix your life? And went through one session of it, and I was like, this isn't, doesn't have anything to do with, mm-hmm. with God. It was all self-help, and I felt, I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of move on my heart and just kind of press on me. He's like, so what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Like, so what are you going to do about it? How do you know if this is true or not? Because you're not even reading the Bible. And so I know Amy gets, you know, she's like, you got to come up with a different story. But, I mean, this was mm-hmm. this was pretty big for our marriage. I mean, we started reading Galatians. Started reading about how Paul was um, fighting. Um, people were trying to bring back the law to, to the gospel. And it was gospel plus, you know, Jesus plus this. And through that, um, we learned we learned how to wrestle. I learned how my wife thought. She began to see how I thought. We began, began to hear each other's hearts on those really deep things within the Bible. And we began to be offended by the word. The word would, well, that surely doesn't mean that. <laughs> and it's, when it starts offending you, it really, that's when it's like, it's really starting to stir in you. And from what I've seen, it's anytime you see a stirring like that, um, it's not um, it's not necessarily the devil coming after you or however you want to look at it. That's every time you see the God moving in the Bible, there's always mankind is always getting stirred up. Every time you see Him moving on the earth, somebody's always getting wound up. Mm-hmm. And we were starting to get wound up about this, and in, in Luke pre- helped us press through that instead of going, well, you know. That's tough, and maybe we're maybe we're just arguing because we're we, we're arguing mm-hmm. or we're pressing too hard. But no, we needed to we needed to work through that. We needed to wrestle through that. And so that's good. Um, so friends sorry, sorry. And, and the word, mainly yeah. the word. So yeah, like so. If I heard you right, you had friends, you had the word, you had a realization. So don't hear us wrong. Hobbies are good. You know, what I mean, God. God came up with sports and music and all this stuff, but it, it's an emphasis thing. It's a priority yeah, thing. I, mean, I still, I mean, I like I have a paintball thing coming up here pretty soon. I've done maybe paintball a few times since then. Um, it never hit, hit Amy's radar. After I got back from doing one, it was like two years after my stuff yeah. was stolen. I went mm-hmm. and did some paintball, something mm-hmm. like that, and she's like, mm-hmm. I didn't even hit her radar. And you know why it didn't hit her radar is because this little rabbit trail. Mm-hmm. It's because of what was going on at home. Yeah. If you're taking care of business at home as a man, if you're leading your family, if your Christ is leading you, uh, and you're discipling your children, you're discipling your wife, it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. It's not a. It's, it wasn't taxing for her for me to leave and go do something like that. Mm, that's or awesome. Or for her to leave and go do something that she, you know, she's she went on a few trips too, and so. Mm. Anyways. <laughs> that's awesome. I always look up to Dave when he says stuff like that. It just cuts through the clutter. <laughs> you see Jesus, you love him, you love your family, you love the church. <laughs> it's not that hard, really. Of course. But it is, and when we, have to fight, we have to fight our flesh and sin. How would, you, um, how would you preach the gospel to those of us? This isn't me, per se. I'm just a crazy single guy. But how would you preach the gospel to someone who... You know, they're, they're married. They have a family. Um, it's 
obviously ongoing stress. I got their job. It's crazy. How, and maybe they're hearing this right now, you know, about how it's not okay if you've lost your love for the, I mean, how would you just preach the gospel to someone who's struggling with that, uh, but they want, they want, they want to be on God's mission. Just how would you preach the gospel to, I know I kind of brought that up, but how would you preach the gospel to people who are busy, stressful, but they want to be on mission? It didn't have to be complicated. Yeah, that was a weird question. <laughs> um, the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. Just thinking about that. It kind of goes with the last question. Um, I was just praying before I came up here too. What was it that, um, what was it that really helped me fall in love with lost people and how would I talk to mm. how would I talk to somebody else about that? I mean, what mm. what is that? And I, I don't have one moment. I have several moments. And I think so. Several moments. There's also I remember this little. This will beat this, but I remember when I discovered um, righteousness of Jesus. Um, I have some friends. I I'll, I'll come across a video or read something, and uh, it'll be crazy, crazy good. And so I'll text them and go, "Oh my gosh, I think I just got saved again." You know, because <laughs> so, we came from a, some friends, and we came from the background that you know is rededicating, re-getting saved again, and so it's just kind of a. Because I mean, I don't know how many times I rededicated yeah. camps. You never know if you're yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I, was, I was telling him, "I go, I think I got saved again." And he was like. Why, why? And I was like, well, I mean, Jesus is righteousness. I mean, that's, how can you have milk and cereal without the milk? You know, I mean, that's pretty basic. And discovering because of the righteousness of Jesus, because of his righteousness imparted to me, mm. I'm able, it says in Psalms 18.10, I think, um, because of righteousness that's been imparted to me because of that I'm able to enter into God's strong tower mm. not because of my own righteousness but because of Jesus's righteousness and because of that I can enter into the strong tower mm. and I hope I'm staying on track here. that's good no that's and so right on. with that the second part like over here I was going to say was it's multiple things that have happened so it was that discovering the righteousness of Jesus, not my own righteousness. My own righteousness could be, you know, my works. It could be my head knowledge, um, like you were talking about today, which was really great today. Um, it could be my head knowledge. It could be my logical, I mean, that'd be, you know, my logical understanding, be able to spit it back out and make sense to somebody. It, it doesn't have anything to do with how much you know. I mean, look at... I mean, you look at, I, I talked about this before, but some people, but look at uh, the guy with Legion. Um, the guy's crazy. He's naked, I believe, yeah. <laughs> without, a, without apparel. And, uh, and uh, he... PC, he, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he, he runs up to Jesus and the disciples, and he's crazy, and y'all know the story. He basically... He asks, Legion asks for permission. Jesus gives permission to go into the pigs. After the last pig goes over the hill, you know, it's all quiet. And there he is without apparel. 
looking at the disciples, the disciples looking at him, everybody's kind of taking in the moment. Mm. And basically he wants, I want to come with you. That's awesome. And his, Jesus says, you have everything you need. You need to go back into basically the town where you came from. And, and that's all you need. That's all you get. These guys are going to need some more work. That's all you get. Shower up, get some clothes on, mm-hmm. and go back to your back to your hometown and talk to them about me and what I did for you and what you couldn't do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. That's good. I think when you put all that together, talking to somebody about the gospel and what they could do, um, they, ha- they might have the head knowledge. Um, they might have it down and able to spit it back out, but they don't have that, that heart transformation. They don't have that where Jesus is just wrecking shop, mm. you know, wounding them. Um, put this down. Wounding them, um, you know, hitting them in the hip and giving them a limp for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Those moments whenever, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Um, basically, you, it sounds so rudimentary, but getting desperate <coughs> and mm. searching after who Christ is and what He's done for you, and then when you, like for me, discovering His righteousness—that's good. Um, really, um, you see for the first time how bad you are and how good He is. But there's something after that, mm. and that is, I had another good friend. Not about two years ago, I was talking to Matt Norman about some stuff, and, <laughs> and uh, just talking about you know there's a um, basically whenever you view somebody who's a sinner and or, or a certain people group or whatever, you just whatever that is for you, um, and you're viewing those people like that. Those people, you say it just like that too those people. The reason why people make you feel uncomfortable, um, they sit down at the table when they're uninvited, um, all that stuff. The reason why it gets in your cookies like that is because you see them as unclean, you see them as they're too far gone. Basically what you do is you see them as their sin doesn't stink as bad as your sin does. Mm. And the thing is, is their sin only the, I mean, you have Christ. You have that banner over your life now. Mm-hmm. That's the only difference between your stinky sin and their stinky sin. Mm-hmm. Both sins can, will, will bring death. Mm. Christ's blood, his banner over you, covering that. So now is the only thing. Legally, now God the Father looks at you like his son. Legally, mm-hmm. he looks at you like that. And so... That's good. That's, that's perfect. Thanks. Um, worship team, I guess if they want to come up here. Um, I'm just going to pray for us out, and then we'll get into worship and communion. Um, communion is uh, a visual gospel. It's a visual reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, we always encourage each other to go back there together, um, to, to see Jesus and what he's done, to be encouraged, to be empowered. Um, and also... Um, I'm doing this with some of the groups I lead. I'd encourage um, everyone to do this if you have the time. 
uh, people have different styles of, of being missional, you know what I mean? Not everyone's the crazy direct guy, you know what I mean? Some, I mean we all, isn't that safe to say? We all have different styles. Some people, they're more hospitable. They invite people into their life. Some people more invitational, apologetic. Um, just uh, we need to learn. I think we need to learn how to get comfortable in the way God made us um, and not just kind of try to fit ourselves into some weird religious fanatic, you know what I'm saying? Like we, I think we have work to do there. It's really not that hard. It can just be a lot of invitational and identifying with people, like you said. But all right, let's pray real quick, and then we'll get in. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much uh, for you, our victorious King. We thank you that we're more than conquerors in you. We thank you that it's all of grace. It's all a free gift. And we ask that you help us to, to know you and make you known. Help us get our eyes off of self and onto you and to be infatuated with you, fantasize about you and uh, our eternity with you. In your name, amen.